Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm with my gorgeous, wonderful, intelligent, Empire Strikes Back loving wife, Michelle. You're so kind, sweetie. Thank you. Hi, everybody. So good to have you with us. We are recording this episode on Sunday, September 29th, 2019. We're actually recording this a little bit early. I mean, I get to you earlier, but we're recording this a little earlier because there's a little something going on nearby that we had to make sure and get a jump on. <laughs> I know. We're uh, very close to the uh, Miramar air station. Air, air station, right? And they are having the uh, Blue Angels come for a visit and uh, a <laughs> right. uh, air show. So uh, we know yesterday there was a lot of uh, noise, vibration, uh, visitors, cars, going, alarms going off. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we realized pretty quickly yesterday, and the, the, the schedule is pretty much the same today on Sunday as it was on Saturday. Like, our normal recording time might be a little noisy if we didn't. So we kind of got this thing going a little bit earlier than regular. But I guess that really doesn't matter to you because you'll just load it whenever you get it. And right. That's good. So. And hopefully it'll be without lots of noises in the background. Oh, from... We're going to hope. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> Talk fast. <laughs> might be interesting. Anyway, thank you for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there, please just take a moment and sign up for our newsletter so you can get news of what we have coming up. You can kind of look back at some of the episodes you've already had. And we've got some interesting new things that we're going to be putting out there that Michelle has come up with, and we want you to take part of it. And uh, the first place you can find out about it is through our newsletter. Right. And I mean, the whole purpose of it is to just bring this community together more and allow more sharing. I mean, you all are so wonderful that you allow us to come into your life and hear some of our thoughts feelings and thoughts. Uh, but we really want to interact with that more and more. We're tr- we're coming up with some other ideas and we want to hear from you and let you have a voice as well. That's very true. That's what we're going to do. Michelle has some great ideas on how to bring you oh, more sweet. into the show to be a part of this show. And we're going to be uh, beginning that uh, actually a little bit uh, today, as a matter of fact. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And if you ever want to contact us for any reason you can always email us at hyperion adventures podcast at gmail.com right and uh considering that you are listening to our show we really appreciate if you take the time to tell a friend about us uh and what really is also helpful is a review and a rating and we've gotten some great feedback from people and we always love it just to make things better for you all the, the more that you let us know about what what you like and what you would like to hear again in the future the better it is for all of us absolutely there's no question about that we've got a lot of stuff for you today including uh some new disney cruise line itineraries coming uh, pretty soon you may want to look into booking those and a favorite character will be staying as a part of the mcu after all but we wanted to start this with our new segment that we're kind of having every week. Michelle, please tell our listeners about this brand new segment. Well, you know, we we know that a lot of you are real big Disney fans like we are. And there's always something during the week that 
is part of a Disney adventure for you. And it could be something uh, very small or it could be something very big. Like we kicked this off last week and uh, we, we had Rob come on, who will be coming on our show a little later today. But he had uh, quite a big adventure, Disney adventure, Hyperion Disney adventure last week when he had his very first visit to Disneyland Resort. And so we wanted to um, hear from you all on what some of your Disney adventures throughout the week are. And we did get some feedback this week, which we really want to share with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's all fun. It's all about, you know, the things, the little things in life that can make you smile. Little adventures every week that you have. Right. And so I'm going to share some of the ones that we received, you know, so that you can, I'm I'm sure as you hearing them like us, when we first heard them, like, yeah, I've had that experience and it is great, you know? And so the first one I want to share is um, Trent and Jenny reached out to us and they said, uh, because they have a trip coming up uh, around Thanksgiving, and they said they were able to start securing their fast passes. And that's always an adventure for them. Mm -hmm. We know what that's like. And we're coming up on ours soon too. But but talking about Trent and Jenny, who are wonderful people, and we know the excitement when you finally get to start making those fast pass reservations one that's that's fun enough that's great disney fun but it also makes that trip so much more real so much Mm -hmm. closer for you Uh, we also heard from keenan and um and, and this is one that we also know about so he was actually helping his his father um plan a Disney trip and helping getting their itineraries set up and fast passes. So this week, his dad was actually at Disney and he was getting some of the uh, texts and pictures of how his father and his wife were were doing on their trip and kind of living vicariously through them. And that's always fun to do too, you know, getting, getting to see things that you've given to people as suggestion and and having it really come out to fruition. Yeah, it's so cool when you get those pictures back, when you know it's something that you put some work into and you, you see that uh, that has come true, that uh, you're, the people that you've applied this out for are having a great time. Right. And part of that is because you, and, and especially if it's family members, that's even that much better. Exactly. So even though you can't be out there, you can kind of be at least re- being re- remembering some of the fun you've had out there and seeing somebody else mm-hmm. enjoy their trip. So the great Disney adventure for them. Uh, and and I also want to bring in Marissa, who has shared with us her Disney adventures. She got her luggage tags this Ooh. week. And again, then you really know that your trip is just around the corner. So we want to share with you, in her words, how her week went. Hi, this is Marissa. And my most exciting Disney moment from this past week was we got our luggage tags in the mail So now the trip is really starting to feel real and we're under that 30-day countdown, which means I can start really getting excited, planning outfits, and getting all those packing lists together. So I just can't wait. And there's so much I'm looking forward to on this trip because we'll be doing so many different Disney firsts, which is always exciting. It's always so much fun to go try new things while at Disney and not just stick with the same old, same old. And uh, my three favorite things that I'm most looking forward to this trip is seeing all the Halloween decorations because we've never been there during the Halloween season so this will be totally new and also going to Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party which I've heard is so much fun and I've actually got my parents convinced to do costumes so we're going to wear Mary Poppins themed costumes and we're also going to do the Food and Wine Festival which I'm so excited for and there's so many different things I want to try. I feel like I just keep seeing all these new foods that just look so good 
And I originally had a list of like a top 10 foods that I wanted to try. And now it's closer to like a top 20. So we'll see how many of those I actually get to try. But I'm so excited to walk around and see the different foods and all the different booths. And so I think it's going to be a really fun trip. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I also have a blog called Think Mickey Thoughts, and I write about all things Disney there. I'll actually have a series on Mary Poppins coming out soon, so if you're interested in Mary Poppins, uh, she's one of my favorite Disney characters. That's one of my favorite movies. If you have an interest in that, maybe check it out. That'll be out in the next couple weeks. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for letting me share a little bit about myself, my blog, and share my Disney excitement with you. It's always fun getting to talk about Disney to people who understand the love of Disney. So thanks so much. I hope you guys have a great week. Bye. So yeah, that was so great, Marissa. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and also, like she said, follow her blog. It's really cool. It's, you know, really geared for adults who are enjoying Disney. And and so um, wonderful, wonderful things. Think there. Mickey Thoughts, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a great blog and very much a good follow, both uh, the blog itself and then on social media as well. So great. Thank you again for everybody for all those uh, wonderful, wonderful uh Disney Hyperion Adventures. Yeah. So let's get to our main topic of the week. And of course, you know, we've been doing this for several months now. We've gone all the way through the prequel trilogy, through the standalone films. Now we're partway through the original trilogy as we count down to the end of the Skywalker uh, saga, The Rise of Skywalker, Episode 9. So, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Don't you agree, Michelle? Yeah, it has been. You know, putting the whole series through in order and reviewing them and um i think it's we've actually had some good feedback on Mm -hmm. it and so i think it's been fun for us and hopefully people have enjoyed it as well right and so now we're here to the film that most star wars fans or at least many star wars fans will say is their favorite star wars movie definitely from the original trilogy Mm -hmm. and that is star wars episode five the empire strikes back Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroy a star, but their story didn't there. Now, the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. continuing story of our band of heroes, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca, and introducing Lando Calrissian. It's an epic of romance. Of heroes and villains, They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. A galactic odyssey against oppression. A 
big, new, sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. <laughs> Trailers are just were just different in the late 70s, early 80s, weren't they? They were so great. Anyway, yes, we are at The Empire Strikes Back, Episode 5 of the Star Wars series. And of course, when we do these Star Wars Remembered series, we always like to bring in our great friend, Rob LeBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast to kind of really show some some of the real knowledge involved in Star Wars. <laughs> Rob, thanks for joining us once again. Well, thanks for having me on. And I feel like I kind of got baited and switched because I was told this was frozen. <laughs> well, there is a frozen section in the movie. <laughs> next week is frozen. Frozen and carbonite. That's, That's right. right. Exactly, exactly. So, Rob, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. You bring such great insight into these films, uh, some things that we don't even touch on. But we're excited to talk about this one with you because this is, I, I think this is, I know it's my favorite of the Star Wars films, and I believe, Rob, it may be yours as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is this has been my favorite ever since it first came out, and really nothing has uh, come along to supplant it at this point. So, um, in my mind, it's pretty much a perfect movie. Nice, nice. So let's get right to it. Uh, this film debuted in on May 21st of 1980. Yes, next year, this movie will be 40 years old. It's wow. hard to believe that it's been around that long, but uh, you know, it really stands the test of time. We were just watching it uh, yesterday, last night, and uh, it's still, it just stands up. I think you'd agree, Michelle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just, I think what makes this movie also very special is the character develop had already taken place in A New Hope. So you got to see more relationships and more interactions that way. And, and I think that made it richer for that reason. Agreed on that. Rob, uh, 40 years ago, hard to believe, right? Yeah, I mean, it. it's still, we, again, we just watched it last night uh, kind of in preparation for this episode. Not that that was really necessary. And <laughs> it just, it holds up so well. Um, you know, there's some points where the special effects are, are clearly a little bit jerky, but um, when you consider, you know, when this was filmed and the technology available at the time, it's really an incredible achievement. Yes, uh, I completely agree with that. I was what we were both watching it last night. Um, we're going to talk a lot about this, but uh, the special effects, for the most part, stand up. Right. There are a couple herky jerky things. You know, some of the stop motion stuff that's a little yeah, that's pretty obvious right. or whatever. But for the most part, it's really, really well done. So let's get right to this. We'll start with the synopsis of this film. Not that I really need to say this because we assume <laughs> most of you've probably seen this film. But we'll so you're go saying spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler Spoiler alert throughout the whole thing, by the way. Uh, here's the synopsis of the film. So following the destruction of the Death Star, uh, the Empire and Darth Vader in particular begins searching the galaxy in search of the Rebel Alliance and in particular for Luke Skywalker. Uh, we see Luke's skills begin to grow with the help of a surprising teacher. Watch an unexpected love affair blossom and see our heroes pushed to the brink as the film twists and turns, including the ultimate movie spoiler. <laughs> Along the way, we travel from an ice planet to a bog planet. We fly through an asteroid field and we visit a city in the clouds. So that's wow. kind of the idea of what we have going. <laughs> seems like a lot, right? It does seem like a lot. I'm just trying to think of somebody pitching this to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing the first movie made a lot of money, right? Right. <laughs> 
So let's get to the cast in this film. And most of it you're going to know very well, especially you know from what we just talked about uh, a month ago uh, with A New Hope with episode four. Of course, Mark Hamill returns as Luke Skywalker. And like I said just a second ago, you kind of see his skills are starting to develop after just a, a, a little basic training from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, really, he's developed quite a bit. Now, is he you know, a Jedi, not by any stretch of the imagination, but he does things in this film that I don't think anybody expected, especially right at the beginning. I mean, right. just the force pull of the lightsaber when he's in the Wampa cave is, right. is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. It seems like, how did he get that to right. there so yeah. quickly? Yeah. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on Luke in this? Uh, you know, again, you do get to see some development of his character right from the beginning of the film. And um, it's interesting because the, the development that you see when he's on Dagobah, um, was kind of something that was missing a little bit, I guess, in The Last Jedi with Rey, uh, because even though she was, quote-unquote, being trained by Luke, um, the way that Luke was trained by Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back, at least it kind of let you show that kind of time was going on and his skills were kind of developing over time. Um, so I thought they did that really well, considering the fairly brief amount of time they really covered the training uh, on Dagobah. And, um, you know, by the time he, he faces Vader at the end of the film, you actually feel like he has at least an outside shot at holding his own. Yeah, we'll get into that whole Vader-Luke <laughs> battle. I know you can't I have wait. a lot to say about that, by the way. We'll get to that a little bit later, but that was a key moment in the film. And yes, uh, you can tell uh, Luke's skills have polished, not only from the beginning when we first see him in this film, but definitely as we get to that battle. Uh, and Moving on through the cast, Harrison Ford, of course, returns as Han Solo, uh, just as great as in the original, you know, maybe even some, yeah, even better lines, I think, in this one. Right. I, just, just interesting interplay between him and Carrie Fisher, who returns as Princess Leia Organa. Just a really intriguing part of this movie is is those two playing off one another. I think you'd agree, Michelle. Oh, totally. Um, maybe more so once they were on the the Falcon that you really saw that, that interplay more developed. I think it was a little clunky at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, at times, but um, it definitely developed yeah. very nicely in the film. Rob, uh, such a key... Uh, part of this film the relationship between those two don't you agree yeah and i just love all the passive aggressive behavior and you know <laughs> snotty one-liners um they really definitely went a long way toward humanizing both the characters and really uh you know making it feel more natural which was kind of one of the big knocks against lucas the whole time he was uh, in charge of lucasfilm in these films was that he didn't write character interactions very well and uh, i thought in this particular film Certainly with Lawrence Kasdan uh, doing the writing and Irvin Kirshner directing, uh, they did an excellent job of, of kind of addressing that issue within Empire Strikes Back. Well, I think they, they just got lucky. We've discussed this before, how they struck gold really with this trio of Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill in their roles. I mean, they were just, you know, really impressive. They could play off of each other really well, despite some of the clunky dialogue that right. uh, Lucas and some of the others had written for him, for them. Uh, it, that's part of what made these films shine. I don't know if you think so, Michelle. No, totally. I, I totally agree. You know, and, and if you, again, if you compare it to the movies of its error when it came out, writing was not always fine-tuned in a lot of movies. You look back at some of the old films of any genre and you might say the same thing about how that writing was. So mm -hmm. I think the fact that this was a little bit more polished, and like you said, the dynamics between the, th the three characters and how they interplayed 
again, goes back to it stands the test of time. No question. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on the big three there. Do you have any extra? I mean, I totally agree that that they struck lightning in a bottle with the three of them and and they were able to take some very awkward lines in A New Hope and and those into some interactions that worked out really well. But all I was really saying is just that with uh, Lawrence Kasdan doing the the script in this mm-hmm. particular film and, and Irvin Kirshner was very open to even having things changed um, once the script had been finalized. I think it just made it that much easier for them to uh, come up with dialogue that they felt like they could deliver authentically. And so that just took their natural relationship and made it even that more, that much more effective. Right. And mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, not taking the script literally and kind of adding their own little emphasis. Right. And especially there is one part that we all know and <laughs> love uh, that uh, is, is, was not actually in the script and a, from what I understand, George Lucas actually wasn't really happy about the change, <laughs> but it was sold anyway. And we'll get to that in a moment here. I know. Yes. That was good. That was quick. <laughs> uh, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, they return as our favorite droids, a C-3PO, R2-D2. Anthony Daniels, I think, shines as C-3PO in this. I don't know right. if it was whether it was the dialogue written or just how he performed it or the combination of both. But, you know, all his counting the odds throughout the film is just <laughs> so gold. He's just so good throughout this. And, and, you know, it's interesting because so often in these films, he's had to play kind of off of, you know, it's kind of that Laurel and Hardy thing, whatever you want to call it, with, with him and uh, R2-D2. Mm-hmm. This was more on his own. He is kind of doing things on his own, just playing off of Han Solo, Princess Leia, right. Chewbacca, you know, throughout this film. And I just thought that that really brought him out more forward not just kind of the foil to r2d2 right well and just the fact that something very traumatic happened to him where he you know fell apart and was being put together and (laughs) so you know putting himself into a situation that was very unique right Rob, do you have any thoughts on uh, C-3PO and uh, Anthony Daniels' portrayal? Well, I always love C-3PO, and you know he and R2 are the two characters that are really a constant through all of the films, um, both the prequels, the original trilogy, and the sequels, so uh, that's kind of always a neat thing, but the thing that really jumped out at me was as we were watching it last night, my son looks at me as they were kind of uh, running for the Falcon within... Um, Echo base there on Hoth, mm-hmm. and uh, my son's like, I think that's the fastest you ever see C three PO. Yeah, for sure. He didn't want to get left behind. Right. That's it. That's very true. I never really thought about that. Right. But yeah, yeah. He was booking for for C three PO. I can only imagine. I mean, that, that had to be incredibly uncomfortable given the uh, the getup that he had on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I wish he would have named his biography or the book that he has out currently. I wish he would have gone with his gut instinct and uh, kept the title "Telling the Odds" because this movie, especially, yeah. Uh, it was a great example of how he always kind of went that route. Yeah. When they announced that at Star Wars Celebration, he said that, and he said that his editors or whatever they were, or his publishers told him that, no, No. that's not the right direction to go. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's (laughs) perfect. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm really surprised that he didn't end up going that way anyways, but whatever the case may be. Uh, We're moving on. Uh, James Earl Jones uh, returns as the voice of Darth Vader, David Prowse as the actual embodiment of Mm -hmm. of Darth Vader. And again, uh, played perfectly in both, both parts of this. Uh, Very intriguing when the whole twist that went on throughout it, you know, that, uh, you know, some people knew some people didn't, uh, you know, just uh, a fascinating portrayal of, you know, one of the greatest villains, Villain? 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 Eh. 
of all time. Rob, I think you agree. Absolutely. And it's interesting to note that um, this was really the film that kind of got started to get David Prowse in hot water with George Lucas. Uh, because, you know, the twist that you were talking about, he was known to have spoiled that as early as 1978, and this film didn't come out till 1980. So um, that was kind of the beginning of the end of his relationship with uh, George Lucas and, and Star Wars in general. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, you know, there's some bitterness on his part as a result of that. Mm-hmm. But again, he he certainly wanted to be the voice of Darth Vader as well, but mm-hmm. I just cannot imagine uh, Star Wars in any way, shape, or form without James Earl Jones voicing that character. Agreed. It was so believable and so, so solid and agree. I think any other voice would have probably not had that same impact. Yeah, just you know. the, the depth of James Earl Jones's voice uh, in that role. It just it, It's so impactful every time he speaks because mm-hmm. just how much richness and how big that his voice is. It's just uh, uh, like, uh, I agree with you both. Uh, I just couldn't imagine what that voice would be like if somebody else were to try and portray it. And hopefully we will never have to find out. Right. Uh, Moving on, Peter Mayhew again as Chewbacca and even more heart in this one. You see, you know, I was thinking about the scene where, uh, Han Solo goes out looking mm-hmm. for Luke and, you know, they have to close the doors because, you know, it's just getting too cold out there and they mm-hmm. haven't returned. And you just see poor Chewbacca's heart breaking there right. for, you know, the fact that he might not, you know, of course, lose his best friend. But also you saw that the relationship has grown between him and Luke as well. Um, and uh, you could just tell it was just it was just devastating to him. Right. And it's just amazing how that can come through with all that costume. And yet, I mean, he he did it brilliantly. Yeah. uh, Peter Mayhew's portrayal of Chewbacca throughout the series has been just absolutely incredible. I know you agree with that, Rob. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of consider his portrayal of Chewbacca as kind of the soul of Star Wars. Um, Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, I mean, he he didn't get a chance to speak lines of dialogue that anyone would understand other than possibly Han Han Solo. But (laughs) he always was able to express what he was feeling through his actions and just kind of through his behavior on screen. And uh, I think that any actor would tell you that that's really the hardest thing to do. Um, And you really couldn't even rely on facial expressions. So uh, he had clearly extended his life debt to Han Solo to the entire group of them, including uh, C-3PO and R2-D2, as you kind of got to see as he put C-3PO back together, uh, correctly or incorrectly. (laughs) And and uh, as you were mentioning, I mean, you know, when Han Solo goes into the carbon freeze chamber and that mournful howl that he gives is um, just really wrenches at your heart. Yes. So much so. So right. much so. Uh, other people, uh, you know, Alec Guinness uh, returned, even though he mm-hmm. wasn't exactly crazy about returning, <laughs> but he did return uh, for a nice cut of the <laughs> profits out yeah. of this to to uh, just have his small portion within it. And I'm not going to say much about it other than, you know, it was good to have him back. But, you right. know, he, he didn't have a huge role in this film. I don't know what you think, Michelle. Right. I agree with you. I mean, it was symbolic, but mm-hmm. not necessarily uh, in terms of the actual dialogue and things like that, that that impactful. Yeah. A- any thoughts uh, that you have on uh, Obi-Wan returning in this film, Alec Guinness? Yeah. I, my understanding was always that he was actually all for returning. I know that he was a little bit kind of thinking that Star Wars was, you know, kind of a, a bizarre space jaunt, whatever, in the first film. But um, he was more interested in returning for Empire Strikes Back, but he was actually suffering from an eye affliction and he'd gone to some specialists and they basically told him he had to avoid all bright light. So there was originally plans for him to be a bigger part of the film. 
And when it was determined that he wasn't really going to be able to be in front of the cameras that much, that is kind of when they went the direction uh, of Yoda or Minch Yoda, as he was originally called. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was really originally planned that he was going to have a bigger role in this film. And, and it was really due to some medical issues that he couldn't. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. See, that's why we bring Rob on, that's because right. he has the these facts that we do not have. And it's very important to bring him on, otherwise we'd just be yammering. Well, I like that. That was cool. <laughs> I give all credit to, to Jonathan Rensler. I was actually looking through my uh, making of uh, Empire Strikes Back last night and uh, had come across that and had kind of forgotten that. So, um, again, those the making of books by Jonathan Rensler, I highly recommend, especially if you download them from... Uh, like the Kindle shop, because mm -hmm. there are audio and video clips uh, that come with the books if you buy them in that format. Very nice. Cool. That's a good. That's a good tip. That's a Jedi yes. Temple Archives podcast tip right there. Not as good as Michelle's tips. But uh, still I don't know. A good tip. I actually think that was a brilliant tip. I was thinking, okay, now I'm off the hook for this week because yeah. there's a tip. I actually, I took that from Michelle. So <laughs> she told me. Ah, that explains it all right there. That explains it all. So kind. So there were some new characters that were included in this film as well. Lando Calrissian played by Billy D. Williams. Just perfectly swarmy. <laughs> uh, just kind of just, uh, you know, just kind of that character that, you know, he's, he's kind of the politician, but you can just tell there's an edge to him. It's just really interesting. And just the way he like... You know, hello, what have we here? Talia <laughs> is just so good. It's going, I remember when we saw it in concert, right. I was just cracking up about it when we were there with the crowd again. So Exactly, so good. yeah. Uh, and, and watching it again last night, just how he moved and how the cape really was a part of that. I just loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, want those capes. <laughs> that whole closet of I know, capes right, yes, right. that we see in Solo, a Star Wars story, of course. Yes. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on uh, Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian? Now, I will say that I did notice when we were on uh, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, I did see Michelle looking to see if down any of those hallways was the cape closet. <laughs> right. so. I didn't think it'd be that obvious. <laughs> yeah, it totally was. I know you said you were going to push the button to turn off the alarms. But I saw you. So. Now, totally. I, again amazing casting choice um seeing him uh you know when he's come out at star wars celebration and, and a couple other times uh leading up to the release of uh the rise of skywalker at the end of this mm -hmm. year and uh he's clearly older but he's still got that billy d swagger and right. uh the the little bit we catch of him in the trailer clip that's been released thus far for uh, rise of skywalker you know that laugh is just iconic mm -hmm. so right. looking forward to seeing kind of how his story unfolds in the upcoming film and um he was a great uh, you know a great selection for this particular role and as tom said you know the the uh, you truly belong with us here right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just so he good had that swagger yeah so funny uh jeremy bullock plays boba fett who uh has become many people's one of their favorite characters which I, you know, I, I get it sort of just because he's just kind of, I mean, maybe he just, maybe it's just, he doesn't talk a lot, you know, but you know, it's just funny because he just really hasn't had a huge role within the, at least the films in particular and right. uh, just kind of interesting, but he, you know, people are just intrigued, I guess, by this guy that they just, he's kind of mysterious. You know? Right. Well, I guess thanks to him and his outfit, we are going to have some really great things to watch on Disney plus soon but yeah i agree with you I, I it does seem like there's a lot of uh hype around him that people love him um i, I guess he has some important 
elements of the stories that he's been in, whether it's, you know, the originals or the prequels. Um, but yeah, interesting. More interesting stuff has developed, you know, or come out about him since the films. But, you know, people loved him even before that. A lot of that stuff came mm-hmm. out. So I just, I found it fascinating. I didn't quite understand it, but, you know, to each his own, you know, what you love, you love. And it's fascinating. Rob, your thoughts on Boba Fett? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that the reason people love him is from the uh, the holiday special. Yeah. <laughs> That was really the first, the first time you got to see him was within the, uh, the Star Wars holiday special. So I would encourage everyone to go watch it. Uh, uh, Attempt it anyway. Uh, see if you can make it. At least skip through to that. At least skip through to that part. It's yeah. a little rough at the beginning, but it gets really good. So <laughs> totally watching the whole thing end to end. And that's another tip. <laughs> Put in the Hyperion Event podcast about your thoughts about it. Yes. We, no, we forgot. We should have went through the holiday special before we did this episode. Right. We could have done that as part of the yes. uh, Star Wars Remembered series. Right. Uh, thank you for not doing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, Boba Fett, uh, kind of a cool little tidbit about him is that he was originally in the very early planning stages supposed to be the main villain uh, in this particular film. And it just didn't it didn't work out that way. But uh, I think a lot of fans would have been super excited about that. Uh, certainly getting to see more of him. But there's certainly a mystery to him. And I think part of it is, yeah, he's got all the gadgets in his armor. And um, you kind of come to find out later on that, you know, he is one of the few bounty hunters that was able to take on Jedi uh, and emerge victorious as well. Um, and another kind of cool little tidbit is that we never saw it in the films, but he was known for carrying the lightsabers of the Jedi he'd defeated on him. He would usually keep one with him kind of as a last defense in a, uh, you know, combat situation against a Jedi opponent. Mm, wow. Interesting. Yeah. He's Star Wars Batman. I think we brought that up on the Jedi Temple Archives at one point. Batman. He's Star Wars Batman. He's got the utility belt, essentially. <laughs> He's just kind of a guy, you know, not, not nothing really particularly great about him. maybe a good fighter or whatever right. you know he's not got he's not a force wielder as far as we know but he's got all these gadgets you know it's like batman <laughs> star wars and batman. dengar is star wars robin <laughs> it is which is why you don't really see much of him uh, oh, that's great great stuff so but let's get to the most interesting character new character that came around in this film and that is yoda portrayed by the puppetry and voice of mm-hmm. frank oz and you know, I, I read as I'm going through the fun facts for this, and I don't know if this is accurate or not. Everything from the internet, take it with a grain of salt, okay? But this was what I found in fun facts was that George Lucas was so impressed by Frank Oz's portrayal of Yoda that he pushed, as a matter of fact, advertised, put money behind a campaign to try and get him nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Wow. And of course, that didn't happen, you know, and they're not going to put a puppet in to do that. But I made me, when I was watching this last night, watch Yoda that much more closely. And the portrayal is amazing. The fact that part of the big thing about this film is that you need to buy in to that Yoda is a living, breathing character within this film. Not, I mean, yes, you can every once in a while, you're like, oh yeah, he's a puppet. He's a puppet. He's a Muppet. Whatever you want to call him. Yes, you can, you can kind of get that, but you buy into it as you go on. And that says a lot about one, the, the puppetry by Frank Oz and the other people who helped him along with that. And also the great voice work by Frank Oz. I I, I think you'd agree, Michelle. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, it didn't come off as a character that is a Muppet. You know, when you're watching it, it just flows with the storyline. It, it's a very believable character as part of this this uh, movie. Completely agree with that. Rob, your thoughts on Yoda and Frank Oz's portrayal? 
Yeah, I mean, Yoda was kind of the thing that Lucas was the most concerned about because it was it, the entire success of the film hinged on whether or not you actually believe that character. Mm -hmm. And not only did they do an amazing job with the puppet itself, I was, you know, watching it last night with my wife and son and um, just commenting about how li how lifelike his eyes were mm -hmm. um, and all of his expressions and everything. So mm -hmm. certainly amazing puppetry. Kind of an interesting little fact is that, um, you know, Lucas absolutely, I, I did read that same story about Lucas kind of pushing for him to get the Best Actor Award and uh, it ended up not working out but uh frank oz uh, back in 2014 had done an interview where he was talking about the fact that um, originally lucas didn't want his voice as the voice of yoda um hmm. frank oz had given him a tape and lucas listened to it and basically said yeah no thanks <laughs> um so they went on uh into post-production and about a year later you know he lucas was out there trying to find a voice for yoda and he ended up actually having to get a hold of Frank Oz while he was on his honeymoon with his wife and say, hey, can you come back? Because uh, I think we want you to to do the voice for Yoda. So uh, another thing wow. that almost didn't happen. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Good stuff. So um, I just I, I was even more impressed when I thought about it because I never really thought about it before. I mean, I always liked Yoda. And but, but after reading that, I was just that much more keyed into watching all his right. um Facial move, like you said, Rob. You know the eye movement, his facial moves, just the way he portrayed it. You know, similar to what uh, Peter Mayhew does with Chewbacca, mm -hmm. and had how you know just the you know these little motions uh, can impact so much of the scene and, right. and what you what the feeling is from a, you know really a non living character, a, a puppet, a Muppet, uh, whatever the case may be, and then coupled with Frank Oz's great voice, it, it just. It, when you, if you're listening to this podcast and you go back and watch this film, that's one of the things I want you to key on because I think that you'll be amazed if you haven't watched it in a while or if you haven't really thought about it because I was right. yesterday when watching it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it just, it did not seem out of place. It really did fit. And I think again, in, in this day and age, if you were to try to pitch that, it might not, mm -hmm might not be received as well, but it, it was brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. And the lessons, yeah, the lessons that he was trying to teach to Luke were, you know, core to the entire film. And mm -hmm. if you don't mm -hmm. believe the character, then all the rest of that stuff goes out the window. Yeah, true. Uh, no one hears a word of what he says. Right. It's a crux of this film. If you, if you just don't buy in that this character is a living, breathing creature, you know, that it's just a tough to buy into everything that happens throughout the rest of the film and through the rest of the series right. for that matter. So um, really, really well done. Done. Let's get to some of the key scenes from this film. And, you know, we'll start right off the bat with like uh, the Wampa Cave, you know, and how interesting it was because, you know, I talked about it just a little bit ago how we see Luke do that force pull for the lightsaber. Um, going back to 1980 when this film came out, I mean, we knew a little bit about the force from what we just learned from Obi-Wan teaching Luke in the original, but we had no idea that that was a possibility. So when he did that, right. when I watched that film in 1980 and he reaches and pulls that, that was a complete shocker. We had no idea that that was a possibility, that that was part of what could be right. done using the force. So I, you know, I found that completely fascinating. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it just, it was like, oh, wow, there's more to this that's going to be unfolding here. So, yeah. Yeah. Rob, any thoughts? It was really uh, a good thing that Luke had been doing his studying because uh, <laughs> not being able to get that lightsaber would have been uh, an ugly ending for him. Uh, it is kind of funny that, you know, when that scene was filmed, uh, it was 
in a in an age where we didn't have the super high def televisions and stuff, and now given the size of the the screens and the fact that everything's been remastered for high def, um, when they zoom in on the the lightsaber hilt as it's kind of juddering in the snow as he's about to pull it to him, uh, you can actually see the made in China on the bottom of that. <laughs> Uh, lightsaber cylinder so it's uh, kind of a funny little thing if you're watching it and you want to it's it's not super apparent if you're not looking for it but uh, just kind of one of those funny little tidbits I think China is like the seventh moon outside of Dantooine or something like that anyway moving on of course Han going after Luke when I mean Han what a change in Han already that we've right. seen in two films when he was kind of all out for himself to begin with, you right. know, just trying to, you know, make sure that he's okay. And, you know, he's willing to take this risk sacrifice for this friend he's made. I mean, it's only been a couple of years or whatever since the, the Death Star had, had exploded. But, you know, he's obviously they've grown very close and he's willing to risk his life for his friend to make sure his friend's safe. Right. Well, I'm wondering too, I mean, and this may be reading a little bit too much into it, but knowing that he had a plan to leave and maybe wanting to make sure that Leah had more people around her that could help with what she was trying to do and help protect her. Well, I, I like that. I actually <laughs> like the thought. I, I never really thought of it that way, that he would have put that much thought into it, but I find it kind of fascinating to think that. So that's a good point, Michelle. I like it. I like it. Rob, your thoughts? Again, the thing with that whole scenario is that it also kind of, uh, the scene where Han Solo is telling um, the rebel commander that he has to leave and Leia's kind of not too thrilled about that. Uh, this was kind of one of those scenes where he's talking about the bounty hunter they ran into on Ord Mantel. And uh, it, it was one of the first times where I was like, ooh, there's a story I want to know mm -hmm. more about. Mm -hmm. So uh, within this film, there's a number of those kind of red herrings that get thrown down and uh, things that they could certainly explore in, in, in animated series or any series on Disney+. Plus. Um, kind of some filler stories would be kind of cool. Sure. Agreed. And I'm going to go back to Michelle's thought here on the <laughs> fact that he you know, did have this plan to make sure that, you know, the Rebel Alliance was okay, that Leia was okay, you know, that maybe he'd, you know, I mean, obviously there is this blossoming love affair that just kind of seems really sudden, but maybe right. there was more there behind it than, you know, you really knew about. Right. So I think it's an interesting point, Michelle. And again, Michelle has great points. <laughs> so uh, continuing on with the Battle of Hoth and the ATATs, the walkers that come through. And I remember as a, as a kid, like just being tickled to death with those. <laughs> those were the coolest thing and completely out of the blue. I remember I was blessed enough to uh, have some connections with some people through my family at the USC uh, film school, which uh, George Lucas is a huge uh, sponsor of, uh, you know, he mm -hmm. went through there, has given plenty of money back there. And so we got to see a screening of this like three days before it came out and hit theaters. Mm -hmm. So I was back in the schoolyard the next day telling, <laughs> trying to explain these, these, these walkers to other kids. I'm like, you wouldn't believe it. Yes, I, I, I spoiled it for everybody, you know, but you know, that wasn't the time where you're worried about spoils. Once you're in the schoolyard, you're like, look, I'm cool. Look what I saw, you know. So, um, not, not that I'm not trying to be cool right now. I was going to say, yeah, it early, but, Oh, well. But anyway, uh, I, I just, I'm still to this day fascinated by the AT-AT walkers. Uh, Michelle, oh, talking. yeah, absolutely. And I think the franchise knows that that is a popular thing. And that's why they've brought them back in other films. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it is pretty impressive. And... I'm looking forward to the Rise of the Resistance ride where I can kind of really be up close and personal, mm -hmm. I guess. And 
I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that too so much. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the one of the things that made the Imperial Walkers so uh, such a fascinating thing within the film is that, uh, you know, as they're making their attack on Echo Base and you've got the snow speeders out there trying to fend them off and, uh, you know, nothing was, was denting that armor. They just seemed like these you know, impervious juggernauts and nothing was going to bring him down, uh, which kind of raised the stakes and made it even more exciting when the rebels did start to have some success against them. Mm-hmm. Right. Agreed on that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, another thing I noticed from the, just from rewatching it uh, yesterday is that if you look at the, the hangar bay on, on Hoth for the, the rebel hangar bay, that there's a vehicle that kind of is transporting people around. I'm like, every time I see it now, I'm like, Oh, that's the rise of the resistance <laughs> car. That's what it looks like to me. I'm like, oh, there it goes. Look, I know it exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, I would not doubt that that was in the minds of the Imagineers as they were designing right. that. I do, do also want to point out that the scene where the walkers are making the attack on Echo Base is uh, one of the places in the film where the music that was written for that is just really cool. It's very uh, machine sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're watching the film just be conscious of that underlying music because it's just super mechanical um a lot of you know deep percussion and uh it's just the perfect counterpoint to those uh, ads Ooh, nice. interesting i know i know rob has a lot of uh stuff on the music and we'll get to that a lot more of that in a little bit because so, you're so always much. tuned into the music on these things and i love that because yeah. i always get some great uh you know interesting facts about the music behind these films which is so good and such yeah. a big portion of why these films are successful and that we love them so much uh, I, I do have to say right now before we get any further into this that when i'm talking music i have to give all credit to david w collins uh he's heavily involved with star wars celebration he's uh, been involved with the sound department at uh, Lucasfilm and Skywalker Sound. Um, so he's just a, a musical genius and he has a special love for Star Wars and, and all things musical within it. So a lot of this that I've picked up has been thanks to him. Cool. Uh, very good. Very good. But we'll still give you just credit for it. Just yeah. you know, pass that. I'm going to edit that out and just give you credit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, moving on. Another place where music plays a big part is the uh, the flight through the asteroid field uh, when you're mm-hmm. uh, watching the Millennium Falcon, which can't get the hyperdrive working, right. <laughs> uh, is just flying through you know these asteroids, followed by Tie Fighters, followed by Star Destroyers. Just a, just a wonderful, wonderful, interesting scene that is mm-hmm. has you on the edge of your seat even now, but especially back in the day when you first watched it, it was on right, the edge of your yeah. seat exactly all oh. the way through that scene. Yeah. I mean, you still look at it and like, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? Right. <laughs> Rob, your thoughts on the, uh, can, the asteroid field scene. I could tell Michelle the odds of them making yeah. it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just in case you want, yeah, through about three thousand seven hundred and twenty-one. <laughs> no, uh, that never tell that, me the odds. <laughs> right? Yeah, you just power me off. But, um, one Is of the that funny possible? Little tips, <laughs> yeah, I, not necessarily for you, but I'm wondering, uh, you know, men in general. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I know that it's about me. <laughs> Now, the, uh, one of the funny little tidbits about the asteroid scene is that there is one of the asteroids that's actually a potato, so watch for that <laughs> right. early on. In I the brought that up with Michelle yesterday when we were watching. I'm like, look for the potato. <laughs> it does kind of stand out. Um, and it's another one of those scenes where I think that is actually my favorite musical track of the entire film. Um, it just is so perfectly 
appropriate for that, the chase and uh, the fact that you really do get a, an incredible feel for how good a pilot Han Solo is. Um, and, you know, some of the maneuvers that he pulls off uh, as they're kind of shaking off those TIE fighters are just incredible. So uh, I think that is definitely a scene where a lot of people fell in love with the Millennium Falcon if they hadn't already. I also think it's interesting because you hear about everybody saying, what a hunk of junk. What a hunk of junk, you know, and all those things. And you're like, wow, it's a pretty cool ship. I don't know what a hunk of junk. <laughs> Gotta work out. But yeah. you actually start to see it be a little bit of a hunk of junk <laughs> during this film. It's just things just don't seem to go right with it for almost the entire movie. But yet Han is that good a pilot and Chewbacca that good a co-pilot that they're able to maneuver and manage despite this thing just malfunctioning right and left and not working as they would expect. Uh, so another uh, fascinating yeah. part of the the film. Yeah, I mean, I think he's about as good of a pilot as Rob and I. That's true. You guys are pretty good. I think you guys are <laughs> right on par. Excellent point. Very good. I don't underestimate your piloting skills, Michelle. Uh, every other time I, I I was on that ride, the person in the left hand pilot seat does not, did not know they were the brakes. So <laughs> had a lot of hard encounters with the container. Nice. All right. Very good. Uh, moving on to, uh, we'll, we'll go to a brand new planet that we'd never seen before. The swamp kind of boggy planet of Dagobah. And of course that's where we meet the Jedi master Yoda and, uh, just some really, uh, fascinating scenes that take place there. One, we'll just start with the cave where Luke kind of has to, uh, face the dark side in a way face more than anything else. It's kind of facing his own fear or facing what could become uh, of him if he should right. start to delve into the dark side. Michelle, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, in watching it again last night and again, going back to Yoda and his movements, him sitting there, you know, kind of like playing in the dirt kind of thing, but you know, his mind is going as to what is happening to Luke at that time. You know, again, very, really draws you in on that scene agreed on that uh rob your thoughts oh this is one of those scenes that i want to do an entire episode on for the <laughs> uh, jedi temple archives podcast because i think there's so much there but um you know first the the comment that yoda makes to luke about you know your your weapons you will not need them and luke takes them anyway right. um and it is the direct follow-up to, you know, what's in there. And, and Yoda tells him it's only what you take with mm -hmm. you, which I actually made a, <laughs> I made a comparison to social media being like that um, last week. Right. That a couple of people liked. So, uh, you know, it, Luke was really the person that created the scenario that he saw in there. And I kind of read it multiple ways. I mean, one of them is a warning about, um, you know, what he could become if he, is not careful about the path that he's walking. And there's also kind of some foreshadowing there that, um, you know, inside that mask is, you know, kind of flesh of his flesh and blood of his blood. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, all very cool. Um, there's another kind of little musical, uh, trivia bit within this scene. Um, so if you ever, if you ever want to kind of stump someone, ask them where the first time you hear synthesizer in a <laughs> star Wars film is, and it is within that cave, uh, on Dagobah. So oh, wow. interesting. When uh, when Vader comes around the corner, it's just it, it's super apparent at that point. Wow. I have to watch that part of it again. I know. Not, I don't hear it. You know, it's funny. We saw this movie not that long ago with a symphony playing um, and we watched it again last night. But all this talk now about the music makes me like, OK, one more time. Where's it in concert again? We gotta go see it. I cannot express. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that it it would change the way you watch the movie as much as it has. But mm -hmm. there are so many things that get pointed out and so many things that 
you know, when we were talking Rogue One, there are callbacks to to A New Hope that you never hear unless someone points them out or you're just super perceptive. Um, and it just gives you chills when you hear it because you realize the depth of thought that goes into even the music within mm-hmm. the films. I mean, it's more than just coming up with music that matches the scene. It's uh, it's kind of interwoven with all these themes and things you see from film to film. So uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in there right. in, in terms of the music. Well, I mean, when you look at this film, there are so many layers, like how each of you are talking about, you could do a whole episode on one aspect of it. I mean, it's just, um, you know, whether you want to deconstruct it or whatever, there's just so much richness. Uh, and I know I, I'm using that term a lot in mm-hmm. this episode in this episode of our podcast. Um, but it, it really is. I mean, you can really focus your attention and not lose sight of some of the other things going on, but really focus and see how an amazing film, again, going back to standing through time. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things, and we've talked about this on your podcast, Rob, uh, that, you know, one of the things that we like Star Wars, and there are people will question, you know, why are you so wrapped up in Star Wars? How can you like this outer space movie so much? It's like, but there's more to it. There is so much depth, so many levels to all these films, going into breaking down the music, going into breaking down uh, the acting, going into breaking down the dialogue, going, you know, there's so many callbacks, so much, everything's in motion. It's just such a good series that, you know, that's why those of us who really love it uh, really really love it and you know and some people won't understand it because they'll just see it on the on the surface and say okay it's a it's a space movie whatever right. you know but there is a lot of depth to discover when you really want to delve into it rob you made a podcast out of it <laughs> <laughs> right. and i mean yeah again it's it's 40 plus years old and you'd think that everyone talking about everything has uncovered everything there is to find and uh, you still hear different people throwing ideas out there that you go, oh, my God, I had never considered that. Right, and right. Um, it, it goes back to the fact that George Lucas was a fan of human anthropology. And uh, I know that Irvin Kirshner had also you know, dabbled in some of that in his background. And it really this film specifically was really about people and relationships um, and that. You know, it's it's all in trappings of a space science fiction movie, but uh, it really is about kind of bigger themes, I guess, than that. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that play within these films. Yeah, just so many, again, there's so many levels, so much depth that that's part of the reason why we love this film in particular, but love Star Wars I, in general. Yeah, and I and I do want to point out that I mean, there's there's another parallel between this and the Last Jedi in the sense that when Jedi go into hiding, you know, Yoda is located near this this Mm -hmm. force cave um, that is kind of imbued with the essence of the dark side. And so he's kind of hiding in the shadow of the dark side, which is what's keeping him from being uh, perceived by the emperor. And you saw the same type of thing happen with Luke uh, on the Island of act two or acto in the last Jedi. I mean, it was, it was the site of the first Jedi temple, but it was also the site of a dark side, uh, you know, force nexus, I guess. Kind of a balance so that they, right. that's, yeah. nothing is spiking on the meter of where right. <laughs> the light side is or whatever the case may be. Exactly. So uh, moving on more of Yoda, of course, uh, just so many great and more quotable lines out of there. Do or do not. There is no try is one of the classic lines and just um, it, it it's actually right. some it's a it's a phrase that you can live your life with as right. a matter of fact right. and it's a very successful way most of the time so um, also you know I don't believe it and that is why you fail when you lifts the x-wing out of the oh, yeah. that is sunken within the bog of course you know it's interesting when you see that scene because Luke originally tries and he starts to lift it and you almost see a little surprise and this is so funny it's a 
it's a Muppet, it's a puppet. You see a little surprise on Yoda's face, you know, like, oh, he is going to be able to do this. Then you see the uh, complete, like, oh, he's given up. He's, you know, decided he can't right. do it. It's in his mind. He can't. And then, you know, Yoda goes and does it. And the complete shock of, of Luke when he is able to do this little creature that seems rather feeble in many regards is able to lift this giant X-wing. Right. It's such a big lesson to be learned. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and I think it's, well, there is another line that I also like that Yoda says that is kind of personal to yes. me. <laughs> but going back to what you... What's that, honey? <laughs> Judge me by your size. Do you? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of... go To me, it also spoke to the concept of, you know, trying to train a Jedi when they are quite young so that they don't have these preconceived limitations on them that as we get older, we start noticing our own limitations, real or imagined, and limit ourselves as a result of that, you know. It's a good point. That's actually a really good point that that's why they especially get trained so young. And that's right. why Yoda was saying, you know, he's too old to begin with. You know, he's too set in his ways right. already to yeah. change that thinking. So it's a good point, Michelle. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Yeah. And just to kind of piggyback on top of what Michelle was saying, it's also because, you know, the older you get, the more attached you've become to people. And attachment was always one of those things that was forbidden. Sure. Um, although I know we've talked ad nauseum on both my podcast and this one in the past that, um, you know, to say that you can live your life with no attachment is is unrealistic. And the Jedi were certainly guilty of having attachment to any number of things. So, right. um, yeah, that that is what it is. But, yeah, certainly um, just everything surrounding Yoda in this film, not only not only did it avoid the, the concerns that Lucas had that it was going to fail, uh, but I think it succeeded on just so much higher level than anyone would have expected. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, uh, completely agree. Yeah. It was such a Im- impactful, important. We've talked about it already. It's such an important portion of this film. One of the crux points of this film is is that whole and all the lessons that were learned. That whole uh, scene on Dagobah, the cult, you know, couple couple of scenes on Dagobah, just really, really important. Now let's move to some other key scenes. How about Cloud City and how interesting that was and seeing Lando Calrissian. We've talked a little bit about you know about uh, his character and how he's looking out he's almost like what han kind of was to begin with and and he actually you know transforms himself a little bit too through these films but uh you know looking out for himself he's actually looking out for his people in that regard you know i mean yes does he make the wrong decision but the deal yes but the deal kind of got shifted on right. him. He thought he was kind of trying to save his friends trying to save his people you know he didn't know who luke was he had no idea but he knew who han was he knew who chewbacca was he wanted to save them so um it was just kind of a fascinating juxtaposition that Londo, you know, the, the, the place that he got put in between kind of a rock and a hard place. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you could tell that he was, you know, had that predominance of being out for himself. I mean, the fact that he was willing to turn them over to Darth Vader, you know, shows that he was trying to protect himself and his, his, his city. Um, but again, as you said, he, he does transform in that and he's realizing, you know, as this deal is changing, things are kind of spiraling and, and, you know, how do you respond to each of those things and make the best of that next situation? Mm-hmm. Rob, your thoughts on Lando? Yeah, I don't think he was someone who would have been in a great position to be able to make a great deal with Vader anyway. I think he was always used to kind of being in control of, of the deals that he made um, and getting the better of the people that he was set up against. So 
to be in a situation where he's up against a Sith Lord and someone who he basically has no way to resist, not just Vader himself, but the fact that the Empire had their full might behind Vader and his uh, presence there on Cloud City. I, I just think that he was really at a disadvantage. He really didn't have a whole lot of choices um, other than to warn off Han and Leia and Chewbacca and keep him from landing there in the first place. And in that case, you know, his his life would have been forfeit. So um, I think he was trying to get the best possible uh, resolution of that situation that he could. Um, and I guess it's lucky that, that Chewbacca didn't squeeze a little harder. <laughs> yeah. <definitely. laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it was just interesting because Lando, you can tell as you go through it, that the deal originally was like, look, you know, we're just going to keep them here for a little bit to lure Luke in. Then we're going to take Luke. And then, you know, you guys are all free to do, you know, that includes right. Han, Leia, Chewbacca. You guys, and then it gradually changed to, well, you know, we're taking Han and, and, you know, Alea and Chewbacca need right. to stay here. And, and then it changed to, nope, they're all coming with me, you know? So it, it just continuously was in motion and, you know, got worse and worse as uh, Lando says himself, uh, as the time progressed. Now I want to get, well, before we get to that, let, let me talk about the scene at the carbon freezing, you know, mm -hmm. of, um, Leia, Han, Chewbacca, everything that happened in that scene. Uh, it just, fascinating emotional scene the music of course is again perfect as i'm sure rob will have something to say about that as well but the dialogue the the situation you know the point of like you're still kind of wondering do is there really something between han and leia and it kind of confirms it there right. but you know uh it's just and again it's one of the most impactful scenes in star wars history and motion picture history that little scene right there at the carbon freezing area yeah i mean you really actually i think everybody knew there was something between the two of them here you got to see that they realized mm -hmm. that something was between the two of them and you know what they were ultimately being faced with at that moment agreed uh rob i know you have some thoughts on this yeah. Um, well, the interesting thing about that particular scene is that they really didn't rely on a ton of music for that. It was mostly the, you know, the sound engineering of Ben Burt and his team, um, which was incredible for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the fact that, you know, like my son was kind of asking me questions around it last night and he's like, well, you know, why, why are they doing that to him? And I said, well, you know, the idea is to, is to freeze Luke and take him to the emperor as a prize. And there's no, this has never been done before. I mean, no one's ever been frozen in carbonite before. So they had to kind of have a test case. So, um, what's really cool about that is I'm looking forward to the Mandalorian right. because based on that trailer, uh, it looks like carbon freezing your, your marks has kind of become the norm, I guess <laughs> at that point. <laughs> um, you see a whole stack of them there. So, um, you know, it was unknown. I mean, this this was one of those moments where we didn't know if, especially watching it the first time in the theater, you didn't know if Han Solo was going to survive that or not. Right. And um, there was definitely a lot of stress involved with that particular scene. And just the look on Leia's face. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. mean, she just had those sad puppy dog eyes um, watching Han go down into that carbon freeze pit. Yeah. Um, it, you know, another interesting thing, oh, well, for, for at least, I don't know when the actually you know release the film but to begin with they weren't sure that Han was going to become that Harrison Ford wasn't under contract from what I understand for uh Return of the Jedi so it, the, the possibility is that he you know may not have come back right. into the next film so this was kind of part of the way and uh you know it's been told many times that Harrison Ford actually said that he thought that uh, Han Solo should die at right, one point, right, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, it was just an interesting position to be in. Another th interesting scene, you know, the thing apart this 
scene is you see Chewbacca start to go a little crazy when he mm-hmm. realizes what's happening to right. his best friend, right. uh, the person he owes a life debt to, and he starts to kind of throw stormtroopers off. And then you see Boba Fett get ready to shoot him, but then Darth Vader pushes the gun down. And I don't, you know, I, I wonder if, I, I'm curious if either of you have any thoughts mm. on why Darth Vader would have stopped that from happening. Yeah, I don't. I didn't even notice that. Rob, so. do you have any thoughts on that? I I just think that uh, the feeling in that whole scene is Leia and Chewbacca and uh, Han Solo are kind of right on the edge. They're kind of going along because they feel like they're outnumbered, but um, you know they're they're just a hair's breadth from trying something. And I think that, at least my take on it, is that Vader's thinking that if Boba Fett were to shoot Chewbacca, then everything could just kind of unravel. I don't think that any of them would have been able to uh, escape from the situation they were in, but uh, it might have cued Luke into the fact that something serious was going on and he was for sure walking into a trap. I think he already knew that, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, if he feels the death of one of those characters... Uh, it it may change the entire scenario. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that that wouldn't have lured him even more to go there and try and save whatever's left. But I have another thought on that. I'm going to get to that in just a moment here as I get to my next portion of this because I think it plays into this somewhat. So I want to get to finally what I've been really dying to talk about (laughs) since actually I was on your show, Rob, and came to an epiphany about the Luke Invader battle. Uh, when we were on actually talking about Ahsoka Tano, of all things, and they just right. kind of turned off to where it just kind of brought up this battle of uh, Luke Invader in Empire Strikes Back. And so we've watched it a couple times since then, and I've seen this scene in a completely different light than I originally did. Originally, I saw this as just a battle between two. One who's very skilled at the Force, one who is not so much, you know, and then it just, you know, Luke barely gets away and escapes and, you know, he's... But watching this and kind of understanding the characters more and understanding what happens in the next film and what happens in some of the prequel films, I've kind of come to this conclusion on this part of the film. And that is the fact that Vader never wants to kill Luke. I mean, yes, to begin with, he does not want to do it because he needs to you know, bring this prize to mm-hmm. the Emperor, okay? So that's what his first goal is. He is kind of underestimating Luke throughout this. He, he already knows that Luke is his son at this point, okay? Mm-hmm. He knows that. You know, this is Anakin Skywalker. This is Luke Skywalker, okay? He brings him in. I'm just rethinking this scene. And when he first, when Luke finally gets in there, you see him... And, you know, he, you know, force is strong with you, but you're not a Jedi yet. And they, they start the battle. Luke fires up the lightsaber first. You see uh, Vader very nonchalantly battling him. He doesn't think much of him. You know, right, he's just right. like one, one hand, hand. one handed battling <laughs> yeah. with his lightsaber, whatever, you know, does a little bit of a fighting and then, you know, gets him to fall, backs him into the pit where he's going to freeze mm-hmm. him. And he says, you know, look, you know, uh, you know, all too easy. easy, Uh, Perhaps you're not as strong as the emperor thought. And Mm -hmm. then he leaps out, uh, Luke does, out of the pit, you know, Mm -hmm. before the carbon freezing begins. And then you start to see a little something change in Vader. You know, impressive. Mm -hmm. Most impressive, you know. And he starts to take him a little bit more seriously. He battles with him. He finally gets another hand in there. Right. Luke gets away. 
Um, they go into the other area where Vader starts to fling things at him, mm-hmm. basically force pushing things at him again, something we didn't really know could be done. Right. But we see this happening. And at that moment, you see Luke kind of flailing a bit. Like Vader could have finished him off, done whatever he right. wanted, you know, tried to you know capture him. He backs away and just kind of lets this thing happen. He actually flings one thing that was it that Luke was able to avoid it. You didn't see him be able to avoid much, right. but it goes through the window and Luke, it gets sucked out this window again, sort of getting away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go through and then we get to the catwalk that's down there and, you know, they battle one another and you can just see, you know, yes, Vader is much more trying harder, but you can tell to me, he just, it just feels like he's more impressed by his son right. throughout this thing. And then he has the chance where he gets Luke down and says, you are beaten. Don't make me destroy you. Uh, he could have done whatever he wanted right there. He had him right there. Luke right. fights back and then he strikes him in his arm. Okay. That this is the epiphany I had on Rob's show that that's kind of the chink in the armor, this shell that Vader has of the dark side of being on his own, everything. Luke actually makes a little mark in that. He's kind of broken through some of this shell that Vader, Anakin Skywalker has put forward, okay? Mm-hmm. Vader does get a little upset by that as right. he still is Vader, okay? Right. Fights back, cuts off Luke's arm, but then immediately backs off on everything, okay? Not his arm, his right. hand. Right. Again, he could have done a lot of things at that point. We've seen him in Rogue One. We've seen how strong right. Vader can be when he wants to be. Then he starts talking to Luke about this whole thing. You know, look, the Emperor has seen that you can defeat him. Right. Okay. Join me. He's looking for this person. Again, we've talked about Anakin many times. The fact that everybody seems to have left him in his life, or there's perceived a reality. Right. He sees this thing happening that there's this his son there right join me and we can take the and you know there's it, there's a lot of stuff going on there luke notices that vader says the emperor has foreseen that mm-hmm. you can beat him that we can beat him you see luke's face change too he realizes oh my gosh one i can be the downfall of the emperor two i sense the good in my father mm-hmm. right here because you know he's just been told right. he's his father right he kind of understands it right there he kind of just gets this epiphany of his own that's when he just kind of looks around and lets go and says i think i can survive this but either way we've got a shot at this thing let's go now i want to go back to the scene a little bit before that with that we were talking about with boba fett i think that when leia is around because knowing that leia Okay, spoiler alert, because we haven't gotten to Return of the Jedi yet. (laughs) Leia is Anakin Skywalker's daughter. Right. Okay? He never wanted to sentence her to death in A New Hope. That was Mm -hmm. Tarkin sentencing him to death. Right. I feel there's some sort of connection that he can't quite figure out with Leia. And I feel like that was kind of, there was that kind of connection there that Mm, he was like, I don't want to see her get hurt at this moment. Right. You know, it's again, another person that he could have destroyed at many times and doesn't. So I kind of felt that. The un, one other thing I want to show is that I feel that this is the crux of when we start to see Anakin Skywalker return. The redemption of Anakin Skywalker is the battle with Luke. And that is when we go back and we get to his Star Destroyer. And they get the, the hyperdrive working. And mm-hmm. just as they're about to put the tractor beam on, the Millennium Falcon gets away. Now, in, before this in this film, we've seen Vader running roughshod over the Imperial (laughs) commanders, killing a couple of them, you know, putting Piet into the Admiral's position, essentially. Now, 
If that had been earlier Vader to me, he would have probably taken Piet out right, right there. Right. However, you see Piet's fear and Vader just kind of walks away and lets him go. To me, this is the suddenly the good in Anakin, the good invader, mm. the good in Anakin is starting to make his appearance. He just kind of walks away and is pondering in his mind what he's thinking to me, you know, doesn't take it out on Piet. I think earlier in the movie, he kills Piet right on the spot for, right. for screwing up. I think that Vader has completely made a shift at this point and this moves forward into the next film. I don't know what you think of all that, Michelle. It's a lot to take in. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you said it so succinctly, too. <laughs> Not really. I was all over the map, but okay. Just teasing. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I see what you're saying, and especially in the main part of that Vader is starting to rethink things and realize his destiny can change now with now he does have realization of his son and his son does have powers that could be impressive he's starting to see that now and like you're saying something touching him you know going back to the relationship of father son oh maybe this could be you know i didn't you know i can have this relationship now i i, I can see where you you're drew from that rob any thoughts on what i just brought up even though i it was not very well told by <laughs> me uh do you have any thoughts on what i just brought up no, I mean, I, I agree with parts of it. I think that there are a couple times in the lightsaber battle between Luke and Vader that Vader has a chance to kill him if that's really what his his goal is. And I don't I don't think that that was ever the goal. I think that, you know, he made it very clear the whole test run of, of carbon freezing Han Solo was to preserve him, to take him to the Emperor. I do agree that uh, as he becomes more and more impressed with Luke's skills and he realizes that, hey, this may be a valid um partner to to join with to take on the emperor that you know he's kind of thinking in a very sith way um that you know he may be able to take advantage of that and and throw down the emperor and kind of take up the reins of galactic rule himself but um when he uh finally you know takes off luke's hand and luke backs himself out on the catwalk and vader is doing the hard sell on you know come with me to the dark side um i don't feel like Luke ever thought that he was going to survive by letting go, but I think he realized or recognized very quickly that, you know, this was what Yoda and Obi-Wan had warned him about that, uh, you know, he was going to be presented with a scenario where he's going to be tempted to join the dark side. And, and he made the, you know, the sacrifice play, I guess you'd call it. Um, and decided that, you know, in that particular scenario, he had two options. He could go to the dark side or he could let go and, you know, just kind of see what happened I, I don't know that he would have had any reason to think he was going to survive that but um and i also agree uh partially with with the scene on the star destroyer at the end there because i do agree that you know up until that point anytime an imperial officer had failed vader he killed them on the spot and uh my read on it is just a little bit different i i don't think that it's necessarily uh, the good in him that keeps him from killing Piet. I just think that he is, Luke has given him so much to think about because, you know, we've got Anakin who had this amazing heroic life up until the point where he felt like he was given no choice but to fall to the dark side. And he thought he put Luke in that exact same situation and Luke made a different choice than him. And I think that is really what gets him thinking um, about, the choices possibly that he's made. Uh, so I definitely agree that he's very introspective at that point. Um, and he's kind of wrapped up in his own thoughts and Piet just kind of happens to luck out 
and escape his notice in that moment. See, here's my thought on this, and I don't completely disagree with you on this, but I do think that when you get to, and again, we're going to spoil Return of the Jedi a little bit for you here, but I'm just going to assume you've already seen that film. Throughout it, Luke insists that I can sense the good in my father. I can sense him. I can sense the good in him. Uh, and he also says there's a reason why you couldn't kill me when on Bespin, you mm-hmm. know, and there's a, you know, he says there's a reason why you won't take me to your emperor now. Now he, you know. Vader still at that point in Return of the Jedi decides he's going to do that the same. Uh, he still feels he's more under the power of the Emperor than mm-hmm. not. But the fact is that that to me that that this is exactly when that all happens, and that the fact that he senses the good in him is because you know yes he senses that Luke, you know that's his son. I don't want to necessarily kill my son. You know I. I let him be, you know, and I feel like the fact that he sees somebody else for so long, for so many years, he felt like he was alone. He had nobody else. The emperor right. was his best buddy. And right. that is, like and the he worst controlled him. Yeah. It was he a, could have, right. you know, um, you know, but now he has this son, all of a sudden he has this son and he's impressed by him. And he, you know, yes. Is it very Sith like to say we can rule the galaxy as father and son, of course, but it's like, look, I want to do this with you. You're my boy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just convinced as the more and more I watch it, that I can kind of see the light bulbs going off on both of them. Now it doesn't, mean that they're all in completely on both sides of this that Luke completely is convinced his father is good and that can be saved or that um, suddenly Anakin is redeemed right there and is suddenly you know this good person again mm-hmm. no but I think that this is where it all begins and, and I think it begins early on in that fight and I think it increases and I think it just kind of snowballs from there moving forward okay yeah, so I, go ahead Rob. I was just going to say I do, I do agree with that the only um, the only thing I would throw in there is that, uh, if you really look at what happened to Vader, I mean, he had basically tried to eliminate all memory of Anakin Skywalker from the galaxy. He, part of him going to the dark side was that he had to just completely eradicate anyone that knew anything about Anakin and the life that he lived, um, so that he could just immerse himself in, in the darkness and the evil and, um, you know, Luke being someone who all of a sudden knows who he was and what he was prior to turning to the dark side, uh, I think is kind of what starts to rekindle that memory of Anakin and, um, you know, the, the light part of him, I guess. Right. So having gone through a similar experience of suddenly finding a family member that you didn't have a relationship, but is your child. Um, There is a lot that goes on through your mind and you question a lot, you know, in, in a matter of seconds, it's like any life situation that we have where our brain just kind of goes into hyperspeed and we can think a lot things. So I could see at that time, Darth Vader, Anakin going through quickly, a lot of scenarios, good, bad, and otherwise um, at that time. And so, yeah, maybe realizing I, I want to explore this more, but I'm also very cautious to explore it, you mm-hmm. know. And, and so, like, looking back at my relationship with, you know, um, coming in connection with my daughter when, you know, it was a backwards, she approached me, but um, backwards in comparison to this film. Yes. Um, but anyways, it was like, uh, what what is this? story from this person's perspective how is that going to unfold how is that going to seem and how does that 
you know, was it a good decision or bad decision? And, you know, so mine was other types of decision, but knowing Darth Vader had gone through decisions of, you know, going to the dark side and things, I could see that being a, a really momentous moment. I don't know. Can you use those words? Sure. Today? Okay. Um, and where he's not trying to do other things or other harm at that moment because he's just still kind of wrapped up in like, wait a minute, let me think this through a little bit. Anyway, I, I just I just find it fascinating now, and I watch this battle, and it, it, maybe it's just me that sees it this way, but I, I I think if you watch this battle, rethinking what is to come, yeah. um, it it may be intriguing to you. You may see it the way I see it, maybe you don't, but I do think it's it's worthy of exploring for sure. I think I do see a lot of that as what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. I think in just a short period of time and then you know this is a film that it, it's not going to explore every single aspect of it at that moment but you know I do think he is starting to reflect on some things you know who Anakin is and drawing him back out and the, seeing the good side and of himself and that's why Luke can sense that so yeah anyway I just find it interesting and mm -hmm. I could talk about it now all the time, I, I, you know, and even though I was very disjointed in how I was explaining no, it, no, uh, I was teasing you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just find great. it, I find it fascinating. So, um, any other key scenes that you guys want to bring up? Now that I've taken up most of the time of this <laughs> podcast, just with my wild, my wild theory. No, I mean, I think I think we hit on the major points. Right. Um, unless you want to talk about the John Ratzenberger scenes. <laughs> That's right. Those are key scenes. Everyone is in. I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave that for fun facts in case <laughs> one of you guys has it. Anyways, so um, yeah, we've gone way long on this. So I just want to bring up the fact that uh, this film uh, was fairly successful in its uh, when it got released. Uh, you know, even though it received kind of mixed reviews, it's, which is kind of funny. It was, uh, you know, not agreed that it was a it was a this masterpiece we think it of now when it first came out, it was kind of some critics kind of saw it as like, okay, the story is disjointed. It's not really that great or whatever, but others were like fascinated by it or whatever. And a lot of the fandom was not really thrilled necessarily by it either. I mean, the, no one had really seen the bad guys kind of win in this one. When you think right. of what the bad guys are and the people weren't used to that. They weren't used to having a movie that was such a, giant cliffhanger you know you're used right. to you know there weren't a lot of sequels to begin with but then when there was a sequel it was kind of its own film this was you know very much the middle part of this trilogy and it really left you questioning it and there were a lot of people that weren't really thrilled with it right i mean it left you in a bad spot it left you that you know more of the villain had won the situation than than the prior movie yeah uh rob any thoughts on that yeah, I mean, the big thing with this film is that it came out in a time where you generally didn't have a lot of sequels in the first place, and certainly no sequels that left you in a situation where it was a cliffhanger, where you had to wait for the next film to kind of resolve the issues that were uh, unresolved from that film. So I think that that, in a lot of ways, is what sat wrong with people at the time. I mean, in this day and age, we have sequels to everything, so it's mm -hmm. no big deal, but... Um, Again, I, I thought it was there were a number of huge risks that Lucas took in this particular film. Um, he was financing the whole thing himself. He didn't want to go through a studio based on some things that had happened in A New Hope and uh, basically had financed the whole thing based on bank loans he took against his profits from episode four and uh, some of his merchandise. So 
it was it was a huge gamble on his his part. It paid off. I mean, he did it again in Return of the Jedi. We'll talk about that when we get there. But um, overall, I mean, again, it's just it's such a great story. He he juggled multiple storylines in a way that you never felt like you kind of lost touch with the characters. And, uh, you know, overall, it's it's still my favorite Star Wars mm-hmm. film of all time. Yeah, agreed. I think part of it, though, is that it had to be paid off in Return of the Jedi. If it does, if a lot of these things that they are not that are left hanging aren't paid off correctly in Return of the Jedi, then what we how we see Empire Strikes Back um, might be slightly different. I still think it's a great film, but, you know, the, these things had to play out to make a lot of these uh Kind of things these these dangling chads if you wanted for you know michelle here who was from florida and around during that time <laughs> uh kind of had to you know be resolved and so i i really think that if return of the jedi isn't as good as it is and is it the best of the original trilogy no it's probably third on most of our list but right. it did pay off on a lot of these things that got left hanging and had to and it had to be that way i think for this to be thought of the way we think of it now right right i do have two quick things that i want to throw in before we wrap up first is that i should have mentioned this when you were talking about the the scenes with uh luke and and vader battling in cloud city is that and i mentioned this to you last night that uh if you pay close attention to that scene really from the time that luke arrives on cloud city all the way through that battle you don't hear luke's theme playing you hear yoda's theme playing Mm -hmm. um so watch the movie with that in mind and give that some thought. And also I'd given you guys a little uh, trivia question last night about when the first time you hear the Imperial marches in this film. Did you guys figure well, it out? We did not study on it. I are going to leave it for you to yeah. explain it yeah. to us, you know? So, yeah. So right at the beginning of the film, um, when they pan down from the opening crawl to the star destroyer, that's mm-hmm. just getting ready to release the probe droids, uh, as they kind of pan and get that, ship center shot at the very upper range you can hear i think it's a piccolo Mm. uh just do the first several notes of Ah. the imperial that's the first time you hear that in the film Ah. so it is there from the beginning to the end i think david w collins did a theme tracker um and it is uh with the exception of luke's theme it is more than double that that theme is played uh than any other theme in the film Mm. wow so it is the entire film is just stamped with the empire all the way through wow Interesting. Yeah. So uh, as far as the how this film did financially, it did very well at the box office. Uh, Within three months of its release, uh, it recovered the thirty three million dollar investment and distributed five million uh, that Lucas put into it, like Rob was just discussing a second ago and uh, distributed five million dollars in bonuses. He was able to Lucas was to his employees uh, for that for his success. Uh, eventually it, uh, you know, it, it went on to re-release and, and, uh, it, it ended up, uh, grossing $222.7 million and about $450 million worldwide, including the re-releases and such. And that's, you know, for the early eighties. Right. So that's, uh, quite a bit of money from, you know, a time when, you know, you were paying only a few bucks to go to right. a film. So, uh, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, it, it was, you know, a, a great film, uh, it won a couple of Academy Awards. It wasn't as up for as many Academy Awards as A New Hope was. It was only up for, I believe it was three. Uh, one won for, I, I believe it was Best Sound. And uh, it also won a special award for uh, effects. 
Uh, and interesting enough, John Williams was nominated for Best Score. Mm-hmm. And even though Rob is just talking about how great this score <laughs> yeah. was, it did not win. Wow. Uh, but it, well, there were so many great pieces out of it that it's really surprising as you go back and listen to it. Like, how did this not win uh, Best Score that year? Right. Well, I mean, it, it's also looking at who's voting. And this might not have been a film that most people from the Academy, especially at that time, would have been drawn to. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I, I don't know. You, you look back on it, Rob. Are you a little surprised that it didn't win Best Score? Um, yes and no. I guess um, I, I don't know if they were concerned about giving Williams too many awards <laughs> during that period of time. He was pretty prolific, right? Uh, and I, I, some of the, some of the ways that they got cut out of the awards picture, um, you wonder if that is tied back to the fact that uh, Lucas really was kind of bucking the entire mm-hmm. system. Um, he was fined for this film uh, about a quarter of a million dollars for not putting the credits at the front of the right. film. Um, they allowed him to do it in the first film because they didn't think it was going to be successful. But uh, he went ahead and did it in this film. And as a result of that fine, he withdrew from the Screen Actors Guild and a couple other organizations that made casting later uh, more difficult. So that's that could have certainly played into it as well. Yeah, yeah. agreed. So let's get to some fun facts. Uh, Michelle, do you have any fun facts on this? Um, not many. Uh, and again, you know, you, when researching on the internet, it's like, eh, is this true or not? But <laughs> <laughs> everything on the internet is true, honey. <laughs> I mean, just the one little thing that I thought was a little comical was um, the scene where Luke bumps his head that apparently he had to do like 16 or 17 takes Ouch. before they finally said, yeah, that, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I'm sure you have fun facts. No, I've kind of spread them throughout the episode, so I don't want to go. I don't want to go too overboard. But um, you know, the one one of my favorites is John Ratzenberger mm-hmm. um, being included in the film, and he actually is the rebel officer that tells Princess Leia that you know they really need to close the shield mm-hmm. door. Um, he has a signature a mustache; you can't miss him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, um, I think I got. I've got to believe that they dubbed over his voice for that. Um, cause it just didn't sound like him. That had a little like a British accent almost, or <laughs> yeah, maybe it wasn't yeah. British or it was Irish or something. Yeah. 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 They did that a number of times in the films. Uh, they still do where they'll dub over actors voices with other voices. So, uh, that, that's probably the one that jumps out the most. Yeah. It's- what was your Rob, what was your most interesting or fun fact related to music that this was like, wow, this is pretty cool or powerful or fun. Um, well, the two, the two that I've mentioned in this episode, first, the, the first use of a synthesizer within Star Wars, having been in the dark side cave, because I'd seen this movie so many times and it wasn't until I heard that and really started listening to it that you kind of hear that (laughs) when, uh, when Vader's coming at him. And then also the, the one that I just mentioned about that, uh, the Imperial March kind of being played in that high piccolo at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. film, because I'd never heard it Mm -hmm. until, um, it was pointed out um, on one of the episodes of Star Wars Oxygen that I was listening to. And ever since, I can't not hear it. Interesting right, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my one fun fact, well, I've, I've got a couple here, but my one that I think was is really great because I think Michelle would relate to this very much <laughs> is that, well, Harrison Ford, uh, he's actually six foot one. 
And Carrie Fisher is just like a hair taller than, or was a hair taller right. than Michelle. <laughs> so uh, many of the scenes where they were together, like on the 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 uh, hallways in Hoth or whatever, right. uh, Carrie Fisher actually had to stand on a box so they kind of <laughs> would be closer <laughs> in a uh, height level. I thought that was funny because I just think of Michelle and myself trying to take pictures of one another uh, very often. And sometimes I'm six foot, she's five foot. So in, in relationship, it's right. pretty much the same that I can understand why that had to be done. Um, I, also, the, in 2010, the, this film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant, end wow. quote. So, yeah, so that's kind of a cool, uh, you know accolade that it right. received so yeah, here here i'll i'll take that yes agreed <laughs> agreed uh as far as the film's legacy look you know we talked about it the, just a little bit ago uh there weren't a lot of sequels to this point and there definitely weren't a lot of sequels that were cliffhangers right. to this point and i i think that's while it hasn't been like standard i i think it happens quite often nowadays and i think this is kind of the one that started that all off and showing that it can be done successfully if you can tie it up very well in the film that uh, comes after it. Right. So I, I think that's part of it. And then there are just so many iconic lines out of this film that we still quote to this day, you know, do or do not, there is no try. Right. Uh, no, I am your father, you right. know, even though that's quoted incorrectly all the time, right, you know, right. um, there are just so many great lines that, that and it, it, it's just, just one of those films that, you know, most everybody loves most everybody. It, it, if it's not your favorite Star Wars film, it's usually in the top two or three, depending on what your age demographic is. Right. Um, it is such a great, great film. Uh, uh, Michelle, do you have any thoughts on the legacy? No, I, I mean, I agree with you. And I, I think the fact that there was, you know, another movie that came after that, that tied things up a little, lot more and looked more favorable for the good guys, you know, made people feel better about this film as well as a, as a part of it you know and so i i agree that i can see where it does have a long legacy of of appeal mm -hmm. rob any thoughts on the legacy of this film uh, i would just say that if it's your second or third favorite uh, star wars film and and you have it ranked behind the wrath of khan then we need to have a conversation <laughs> <laughs> wait what sorry i have it behind the, a voyage home i don't know what you're talking about but uh, anyway <laughs> always trust Rob to come up with a gem. I know. So good. Um, anyway, we love this film. If you haven't seen it, and we probably spoiled it for you, but you should go see it anyway. And we'd be interested to hear what you think of uh, some of these scenes we've discussed, you know, the Yoda portion of it, what you mm -hmm. thought of him. Uh, what you, if you go back and watch that film, or the, the portion of the film with the uh, the Vader-Luke duel, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to hear what you think about that part. You know, say you sort of agree with me or you think I'm completely off my rock or I'm good with both those because sometimes I believe both of those so I'm very intrigued by it but we'd, uh, we we want to hear what you think of it either way and Rob thanks again for uh, putting yeah. such great input into the, these, these segments these Star Wars Remembered uh, segments will not be the same without you here and this is the kind of stuff that you get on his podcast uh, week in and week out so you really should uh, follow along subscribe listen to and review the Jedi Temple Archives podcast Rob please tell people how they can listen to you and how they can follow you socially yeah we're available on basically every podcast platform out there if you can't find us on the one that you like to listen to your podcasts on then please uh, go ahead and reach out to us we can be reached at jtapodcast at gmail.com and we're also on facebook 
Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. And I will throw out there that, you know, Tom is a regular uh, on my podcast, uh, is a co-host and Michelle joins us once in a while and we always have great conversations and, uh, you guys are certainly, uh, commonly throwing things out there that make me rethink stuff that that i'm watching within star wars as well so again um it's all about different perspectives and different mindsets and uh we love to hear from listeners and and if it it's something that you enjoy definitely tell a friend uh give us a review and i would encourage the same for uh hyperion adventures podcast please give them a review and tell a friend oh, thank you Rob. Thanks. appreciate it but yeah your show is great and it doesn't yeah. make you feel like a jerk <laughs> I always try to stay jerk-free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely check it out. Definitely subscribe. And you will, like you said, tell a friend or, or give a review. It's great for every podcast. Yeah. So, Rob, thanks again for joining us. We look forward to, you know, tying up the original trilogy, getting tying up all these loose ends that we have when we get to sometime next month and we get to our Star Wars Remembered series and Return of the Jedi. Looking forward to that one. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on and have a wonderful day. Thanks. So thanks again to Rob LaBerry of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast for taking part in and and going through with my folly on uh, the Star Wars Remembered <laughs> series and following along on my completely weird offshoot of the sh- of the movie. Yeah, but, I thought that was great. But we really appreciate him. He always brings in such great insight into those segments. Yeah, no, it's awesome having you know somebody with that kind of level of experience and knowledge of the Star Wars Star Wars universe. Boy, I'm losing my ability to talk now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyways, uh, and and bringing it out in an interesting way. And you're, you're, I was really so excited to be able to finally hear your thoughts. I know that as we were watching the movie again yesterday that, you know, you were taking notes of some things that you had noticed after you shared with me that you did have an epiphany, even though I didn't know what that was. So pretty cool. Thanks. Uh, I'm probably completely off my rocker, but uh, I, I, I just find it fascinating and it's such a great film and just love rewatching it. And even more so now that I kind of have this weird uh, idea about what goes on <laughs> during it. So anyway, I digress. Let's get to the Disney stories of the week. We've already gone long, so we're just going to hit a couple quick ones before we get you out of here. And I want to start with your friendly neighborhood arachnid will be remaining in the <laughs> MCU after all. This from Variety.com. This is such great news, by the way. Right. Uh, after briefly breaking up, Sony Pictures and Marvel have found a way to get back in the Spider-Man business together. Yes. Uh, on Friday, the two companies jointly announced that Marvel Studios and its president, Kevin Feige, will produce the third film in the Spider-Man series. It will once again feature Tom Holland reprising his role as the titular hero so uh so good to know that i kind of felt like this might happen at some point anyway it was kind of a bargaining thing that was going on between the two sides but i'm so glad that we actually now have come to a somewhat of a resolution yeah yeah it's great i think it's a win-win for both companies uh and glad to see that it happened actually fairly quickly Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad we weren't kind of twisting on the web right. for uh, so too long. Uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, the new deal was signed late on Thursday night in exchange for lending Feige's producing prowess. Marvel and Disney will receive roughly 25% of the profits, according to insiders. Uh, Disney will retain its merchandising rights and will put up roughly a quarter of the financing. Uh, as part of the arrangement, Spider-Man will also appear in uh, at least one future Marvel Studios film and the third Spider-Man installment is scheduled for release now on July 16th of 2021. So you can see that the wheels are already in motion right, for that. Right. Cool. 
So yeah, that's great news. I'm so glad that uh, you know Tom Holland is such a great Spider-Man, yes. and it's so good to know that he'll still be part of the MCU. And um, I'm just looking forward to more Spider-Man on the films coming uh, soon. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, let's move on from the films to the Disney Cruise Line. And yes, there were a bunch of new itineraries that were released this week. That's exciting stuff for those of you that may be planning out a Disney cruise coming up here in early 2021. One, uh, this straight from the Disney Parks blog, uh, Disney Cruise Line is going to, quote, gonna take you there, end <laughs> quote. Uh, that is to New Orleans, in addition to Disney Cruise Line's inaugural season and the Big Easy coming up in 2020, which we're taking part right? of, by the way, which is going to be fun. Uh, you have more opportunities to sail from the Crescent City with your family in early 2021. So that's great news. More itineraries leaving from New Orleans. So mm-hmm. if you weren't able to book one for 2020, uh, you still have a shot at 2021. Yeah, it's exciting because then you can have kind of like that, that pre- cruise trip to go out to see that very fine city very mm-hmm. fun city mm-hmm. um and yeah I, i'm so glad that they're they're sticking around there i you know giving it uh more port days there or you know i mean um departures from there right. etc so and they have some new ports that they're going to be going yeah, to that's gonna be interesting stuff so along with new orleans dcl also announced new voyages from texas california and particularly San Diego and uh, Florida, of course, Florida, always going out of Florida. Uh, so the series of magical voyages from New Orleans kicks off in January 2021 with a pair of four and five night cruises to the Western Caribbean. Uh, the five night voyage includes a visit to a po- Progreso, Progreso, I guess it'd be Progreso, uh, Mexico, Progreso, Mexico. Okay, I'll just do it as me. Progreso, Mexico. A <laughs> new, thank you. A new, sorry, so being the voice of the Mexican government for the radio station I used to work for for so long to do some of that stuff. Nice. Uh, a new port uh, of call for Disney Cruise Line on the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, this quaint town is filled with treasures for your family to explore together from ancient Mayan ruins to hidden swimming holes filled with crystal clear water. That's fun. I've never heard of that port, but that sounds interesting. I know, I know. When I, when I saw that too, I thought, oh, that's great because i mean we've done some of these cruises before and uh after a while we we tend to look at it as okay that port day is our pool day yeah been there done that (laughs) we need to go see it again Eh. but this is awesome that to have another new port to try Mm -hmm. out looking forward to that very much so uh there are also three seven night sailings to the bahamas with a stop at castaway key plus a 14 night panama canal cruise to round out the departures from the crescent city early in 2021 so and we are going on the panama canal cruise in march of 2020 right so if you are planning this one in 2021 when we get back we'll kind of tell you how that went and maybe you have an idea on, on what the 2021 version of it might yeah, be like. Yeah, hope so. Cool. Yeah, exciting stuff. It is. Uh, so the Disney Wonder is also be returning to a popular home ports of Galveston, San Diego in early 2021. On the sailings from Texas, you can enjoy the white sand beaches of the Western Caribbean on a series of four and six night cruises to Grand Cayman and Cozumel. Uh, one seven night departure will feature stops at Key West, Nassau, and Castaway Key. Then Disney Wonder heads to the West Coast for a variety of sailings to Baja and the Mexican Riviera, departing from San Diego on cruises ranging from three to seven nights and that's always exciting for us because if we ever want to do those we don't have to hop on a plane i know (laughs) (laughs) that is awesome but yeah and you know for people who haven't had a chance to come to the west coast you know this is a great reason um 
Disneyland is up the road a bit, but also just the city of San Diego is a great fun mm-hmm. place. Right. Uh, it's so great spot. Maybe you've done uh, the Bahamas and done the Caribbean several times. Why not go check out Mexico and, right. and do some of these cruises or the uh, eventually they'll be doing some sort of uh, repositioning cruise from San Diego up to Vancouver. And that's right. always we've done that cruise before, too. And that's always fun as well. Uh, meanwhile, the Disney Magic will be sailing three, four and five night Bahamian and Western Caribbean cruises from Miami and the Disney Dream and Disney Fantasy will continue their sailings out of Port Canaveral coming up in early 2021. So if you're looking to book these, uh, they're coming up just this week. As a matter of fact, by the time you're hearing this, some of them may be open. Uh, so the, all the booking windows open at 8 a.m. Eastern. That's 5 a.m. Pacific where we are. Um, for Platinum Castaway Club and Golden Oak Club members, uh, you will be able to book these sailings beginning tomorrow. That is September 30th. You may be listening to this today, so they may be open for you now currently. Uh Gold Castaway Club members, they opened up for on Tuesday, October 1st. Silver Castaway Club members and uh, Disney Vacation Club members, as well as Adventures by Disney Insiders, can start booking on Wednesday, October 2nd. And it is open to the general public beginning on Thursday, October 3rd. Really exciting. Yeah. I love it when they announce their new, mm-hmm. you know, um, itineraries. And it's fun when they add things that haven't been there before. So. Always fun. Always fun. So that's it for my Disney stories of the week. We never, however, leave you without some sort of tip that might help you on your next vacation, whether it be planning for it, whether it be actually going on it. But we always do one thing for sure. And that is start with Michelle because (laughs) one, she's awesome and amazing and just everything that's great in the world. But also she always has the best tip. So let's get right to it. Let's get to Michelle's tip of the week. You're just so sweet, baby. Well, uh, my tip is hopefully something that might uh, be able to save you some money on a trip. So I just wanted to, um, you know, some people who are, you know, seasoned travelers to Disney probably know this. Um, Maybe not. But if you're new to, to travel, traveling to Disney, you know, if you book uh, a Disney resort, you know, and you have it done, you know, let's say a year in advance or whatever, um, keep from time to time checking because specials do come up even close to the time of your actual travel. And so you could actually go on um, from the My Disney site, you know, or the app. And all you have to do is, is select your reservation and you can hit change. Now, that's not going to automatically do it because you have to go through a series of approving it. But hit change and then take a look. It'll bring up if there's other offers during that same time frame as your reservation and see if something has actually had a reduction. And all you have to do then is select that one and you get the benefits of having a um, cheaper time at the mm-hmm. Disney Resort that you've b- been booked at. So, and and I we've done this Numerous many times, times yeah. many times, you know, and I, you know, I've shared that with other people and they've done it. In fact, somebody I knew did it one time. It was the week before they were mm-hmm. traveling and something came up and so they saved $400 mm-hmm. just one week before. I mean, think of how how fun that is when you're like getting ready, you know, your week before your trip. So, you're kind of like that's crunch time. Everything's coming together and all of a sudden you're like Wow, $400 savings, sweet. So, um, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. It's super easy to do. And like I said, even if you hit change and there is no other 
options. You can just back out of it. But if there is something that allows you to have a savings, then, you know, you get to select that right then and there. It's really easy and quick to do that. Yeah, it's a great point. We've done it many times. And yes, we've saved hundreds of dollars yes. when we've done it at times. So uh, it's always good to keep an eye, even if you've made the reservation a year, a year and a half in advance, it's still worthy of checking back on it every once in a while, especially if you hear any of these deals come out and seeing if it will help you on your vacation. So it's a very right. good point. Yeah. Because a lot of times the deals are coming out closer to the, the that time of mm-hmm. the year. And, you know, if you have booked it way in advance, we did that with our family mm-hmm. just in June, too. And they also saved quite a bit of money. Uh, so keep an eye out. If you have something booked, go back and check from time to time and see if the prices have gone down. Very good point. Michelle always has the best <laughs> tips. My tips is actually uh, kind of similar to Michelle's tip. And as a matter of fact, this week, and it goes back to uh, what we were just talking about in Disney Cruise Line and the booking windows open for these dates in early mm-hmm. 2021. And what I'm going to tell you is that uh, if you're considering sailing during those dates at all, whether, I mean, obviously this is well in advance, but if you have any thoughts that you may take these sailings, uh, you should book them as soon as you possibly can. One, because you'll have the best cabin selection that time. Uh, Two, often the times the best prices are whenever those windows open up. Uh, Usually, and depending on whatever your window is, whether you're a platinum, whether you're a silver, gold, or or just general, whatever the case may be, uh, usually when those open up, that is usually almost always the best price. However, uh, if it isn't, one benefit you get from this is that you can just put a deposit down on this, okay? You're not paying the whole thing off in advance, all right? So you you can uh, change this or cancel it at any time up until the actual you know pay in full date. Uh, so you have plenty of time to decide whether or not this is the actually the, the best thing for you, uh, whether you want to make this decide to go on this Disney cruise or not. And you can always cancel up until that point at no penalty. You get all your money back right. for it. Uh, the other thing you can do is it, if you go through this and just like Michelle was just talking about with the Disney vacations, mm-hmm. if you've paid for, you know, if you booked a, a whatever rate it is early on and you see that for some reason the price of your cruise has dropped for your same cabin, you can rebook it at that price at any time up before final payment is due. So it's another reason like, okay, you're, you're taking a chance that this is the best price. Right. But if it should drop below that, uh, you still can rebook it. So if you have any consideration of uh, making one of these cruises, I would suggest you going ahead and booking it right away as long as you have enough money to put the deposit down. Again, it's totally refundable as long as it's before the final payment date. Right. So it, it's just trying to lock in the best possible price you can. Right. You know, and if you do decide you want to go through a travel agent, you can transfer that, mm-hmm. you know, if you do that right away. Um, you know, especially if you have the opportunity as a platinum, gold, or silver to do that in advance and then just transfer it over to your travel agent. Exactly. It's a very good point. So I just wanted to get that out for for you since uh, obviously these dates are opening up this week. And so if you're thinking about going on a Disney cruise at all, I would suggest you go ahead and and book those dates as soon as possible with the thought that you can either cancel it if you decide not to go or change it if the price should end up dropping lower than what it is right now. But usually these are the best prices for you. So I'm sure those New Orleans dates will sell out pretty quickly. Yeah. uh, Just be prepared for that. And if you do book one of those, let us know 
that yeah. could be your Disney story of the week there. That's right. That's true. That could be your My Disney Hyperion Adventure. We may have you showcased in next week's episode. And as for next week, we've got some things in the works. I'm not going to give it up right now, but there's some possible exciting news next week, some exciting things that might happen next week, but I don't know for sure yet, so I'm not going to give them up yet. We're just going to hope for the best. Uh, but please follow us along throughout the week on social media at Hyperion Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And if you have anything you want to contact us for, please email us at Hyperion Adventures Podcast at gmail.com. Right. And again, uh, we really appreciate if you could tell a friend about our podcast. Mm-hmm. Please, that's the best way for other people to find out about our podcast. You could also leave us a rating and a review, which would help as well. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week. But until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle. And we hope that you have a magical week.